1: The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on
0: Paramount+. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side.
1: A new rain is coming to the South Side.
0: Never should a sent a boy to do a woman's job.
1: The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.
0: What's up? Welcome back. It's Barton and Bud. This is Barton Simmons with Bud Elliott. Another loaded game week. One in the books. If you haven't listened to the recap from last weekend where we, we really ran down the SEC and talked about what's to come, please do that. Check it out. Give us five-star reviews. You've been great. We appreciate all of the reviews we've gotten to this point, but I think our number is ticking up to like 600 or something. Is that right?
1: Yeah, man, we are closing in on, on 600. I've had pretty good growth Month of September. I know month of October can be really big. Guys, get us 600. Or maybe we'll throw you a little special episode, a little, uh, hell, maybe we'll go live on Twitter or something like that to answer a couple of your questions that, that don't make the show. But uh, yeah, get, get us 600 on Apple Podcast reviews, please. And if you're listening to this on, on an embedded platform, maybe you're on the 247sports.com website, uh, go ahead and hit that little subscribe button down at the bottom Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you want to use. And, hell you can even play us on, on an alexa or, or google dot maybe so
0: yeah man we've got another good week man we've got another good week in the ticker in the hopper uh i guess what are we what are we like two weeks out three weeks out from big 10 joining the fold um and and before we get there the sec is just gonna like continue to to steal the show we like i said we talked about it last week i think We're both really excited about Tennessee-Georgia this week. There's plenty of other good SEC games on the slate. Obviously, there's Miami-Clemson this week as well. But first, but, because you are diligent and you cover all angles and you are information-minded, I need a little bit of information. I need you to educate me a little bit on one of the key factors this weekend in all these games, which is weather so what kind of uh what kind of weather forecast can you give me who's going to be impacted and how is that going to impact my gambling this weekend
1: so it's an important factor to consider we've already seen basically every single sec game take money uh, to the under mostly on on tuesday a little bit on monday night uh, a couple a couple of underdogs have taken some money too probably because the you know the idea it's maybe harder to blow somebody out in a rainstorm maybe a little sloppier game and we've already seen uh missouri lsu i saw some reports that that was going to get moved to missouri is that been confirmed now yeah yeah, yeah. i that's think that's of, i it.
0: think that's that's a done deal so they're playing so, in columbia
1: so that's getting moved uh basically any any game louisiana mississippi alabama georgia uh maybe up into like kentucky no, you know, north mississippi tennessee area i don't know uh I don't know how far east it's going to go. So, like, I don't know if your games, like in Clemson uh, or in in North Carolina, are going to get impacted. Uh, but certainly, up up there, the Gulf Coast states, and and then up uh, the the you know, two states that sit on top of those states, which t- which touch the Gulf Coast, are are, are ones kind of got to be on alert, right? It's Probably pretty big expect- swath
0: of games. Like, that's yeah, a, that's, you just named a lot of states.
1: I I don't know. The thing is, like is this, the, is this storm going to speed up? Is it going to slow down? How much rain is it really going to drop? You know, we we could have a lot of games get a little bit of impact or we could have a couple games get a huge impact. And it, look, there's games which have been played in in rainstorms that have had a million points before. And there's also games like, in fact, two Notre Dame games that I can remember where they really didn't handle it very well. Uh, Notre Dame-NC State, the, the famous literal hurricane game where Brian Kelly thought it was a good idea to try to throw a bunch of passes and NC State was like, Guys, really like there's 45 mile an hour winds and sideways rain, probably shouldn't do this, but we'll, we'll take all these turnovers. <laughs> and then last year, uh, the, the Michigan game, M- Michigan Notre Dame, if I recall, was, was a huge rainstorm. So I generally don't think that like light rain is going to kill an over. If you're playing in a literal hurricane, that can be a problem, right? Uh, just it, it makes it difficult to throw the ball. And if you're not throwing the ball, you're running the ball and the clock is running. So that's kind of my weather update uh, as of uh, noon central time on Wednesday.
0: All right. So just just keep like keep an eye on the hurricane. Uh, keep an eye on the weather patterns. Maybe this this might be a weekend where I'd, I I kind of hold off to pulling the trigger on a few plays until right before kick. But regardless of what the weather looks like, I think we can expect a few of these games getting kicked off, and and. I don't know. Would you say the biggest? I would say the biggest one in terms of just what it means for the season, um, the, the rankings, the conference race, all those sort of things, probably is the Miami traveling to Clemson and us trying to figure out just how legit this Miami team is. I've got them third in my rankings, not necessarily because I think that they are the third best team in the country, but because... I think that they've earned that spot. Um, I think that they've—they this is a team suddenly that's got an offense. This is a team whose defense is 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 really stout with really good players, and they've dominated um, two good teams. Well, they've dominated one team I think is good in Louisville, and they they blasted a Florida State team and exposed them as not being good. But that's what you're supposed to do when you're really good. So, where do you want to start with this matchup? What are the keys here that you want to take a look at and, and maybe that you're keeping an eye on that are going to determine the outcome?
1: Yeah, so like, here's what I kind of want to learn in this game. By the way, uh, the line is, what, Miami? Uh, 14? Is yeah, 14? 14 over under 63 and a half. I played under 65, under 65 and a half at open. Uh, so a, a couple things here, right? I think both these teams have shown a lot of promise so far this year. I don't blame you at all. If you're a resume ranker, as opposed to like just a power power raider, I I don't blame you at all for having Miami number three. I mean, who has a better resume, just based on only what they've done on the field so far, than Miami? Right? I mean, like Louisville, we think is a decent team. They blitz them. Florida State is not a decent team, but they're like a power five team with some athletes, and they they crush them. It was over at the half, and they beat up on a, on a pretty good G five team, in UAB. But some things... I am,
0: by the way, and I am a resume ranker as long as you can do it because at some point you have to give it up because all the resumes get sort of um, compromised and there's overlap and this team beat that team and that team did this team. And and so at some point you just have to say, well, I think this team's better. I think that team's better. But I think for as long as you can, it makes sense to try to rank on the resume because our eyes can fool us. And so... um, I, I think that to this point, yeah, I like, think I think Miami's got a pretty good case, but uh, they're still a 14 point dog. They are. Tells us a lot, right there.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree with you, man. At some point, like like you know, the the there's so many just conflicting data points that you have to kind of go on like resume plus eye test plus your your knowledge of the game. So with with Miami, they have. First of all, their success rate against FSU's defense was much higher than it was against Louisville or against UAB. And I think that that showed improvement. And, and I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that Miami can continue to get better as an offense this year, right? I, I wrote that column after their UAB game and said, all right, I'm pretty confident Miami is not going to lose to like the bottom half of the ACC this year because they have a really good defense, I think, and they have an offense that is at least decent, right? I'm not willing to say it's a great offense yet, but I think it's at least decent and climbing. In my mind, they were much more efficient against Florida state, but there's, there's a couple questions I, I have for, for the hurricanes. And and I I think that obviously Derek King, the quarterback transfer from Houston is, is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, especially college wise. I mean, I don't really care about what, what he projects to for the NFL In, in the college game. He's really effective. Miami though has basically been screwing around on first and second down and then saying, all right, Derek. Go, go bail us out. Go be Superman. And that worked against Louisville. And that worked against UAB. And a couple times, that worked against Florida State. I don't know if this thir- third down and long magic for Miami can keep up. Miami is 72nd in the nation. There's only been 74 teams that played so far. So they're third last in the country in average third down distance faced. Is that sustainable? I don't know. They have got to do a better job on well, excuse me, I do know. Against Clemson's defense, against Britt Venables, a guy who does a tremendous job, you know, who switched to the Iowa State system, right? Of defense. He adopted it last year, probably partially out of out of personnel reasons, because they lost all those dues to the draft on the defensive line. They're still running a lot of that 326 stuff this year. He's pretty good against these spread offenses. And on third down, like nobody does a better job of creative blitz packages without bus than bread edibles. Bart and edibles. Barton, I have real concerns if Miami is going to continue that to kind of disregard first and second down, or not disregard, but just not have consistent success on first and second down. I have concerns about their ability to hang in this game if they're consistently in third and long like they've been in their three games this year.
0: Yeah, to, to follow up on your point about Miami, because that that's you know, one of the, the real talking points coming out of Louisville. And we, we I talked about it a little bit in preparation for Louisville-Pitt, what, two weeks ago, is was the idea that, like, Miami really wasn't as successful running the ball as maybe the numbers show. They just had a couple of really big plays, and Louisville did a better, better job of, of limiting them in the run game than you expect. And so, yeah, I, I think it's a great point that Brent Venables is not the guy you want to be dealing with on third and long. Um, just didn't. and And I think that Miami... In some ways, you could argue. Like I was trying to think this too. Like, what is the profile of a team that can be Clemson? And and I really didn't, because they've lost to some weird teams, obviously, and they've got got their their Clemson sort of um, sleepwalking kind of game every year. But I don't. It wasn't it wasn't obvious to me. Now I didn't do a I didn't do an extended like multiple hour. Deep dive. I just sort of tried anecdotally to kind of look at the games and, and figure out if something popped to me. But it wasn't necessarily anything that popped. It wasn't necessarily, oh, you got to have a loaded defensive line or oh, you got to run a spread up tempo system or you got to have a mobile quarterback. Or it wasn't like none of that stuff was really a consistent. I, I think it's just about Clemson and whether or not they're dialed in, whether or not they're focused that day. I would expect Miami's got Clemson's attention. Um I think that to me, I mean for sure, like that's a huge point there is is what what is third and down, third and long look like for, for Miami. Um, I think also I, I look at the other side of the ball on defense and and can I mean it's just so hard to 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 rattle Trevor Lawrence. So let's just assume that's not gonna happen. But can Miami's defensive line, particularly their defensive ends? just create some like havoc plays create some opportunities for their for their defense and and generate some turnovers whatever it is get them get cleansed behind the sticks against a good offensive line but still like that I do I would consider at least on the edge like that's an advantage Miami has and so yeah you know I
1: I completely agree with you there I mean that they, they they lost uh, Rousseau to the opt out for the draft, but they've been just fine on the edge with with, with Quincy Roche and, and, and Jalen Phillips. And think about what this defense would be, by the way, if they had not had Rousseau opt out. I mean, that that's by far the best defensive end trio. As we, we don't usually use that term trio with, with DNs, but like that's the best defensive end trio in the nation. I, I would have to think if if he were still playing. I, yeah, man. I, I think if you are if you're Miami. And you want to have a shot to win this game, your corners have got to win against Clemson's outside receivers. That that's one of the only areas of this Clemson team that I feel like has been just—I don't want to say lacking because that, that's kind of a knock, but just maybe not up to the Clemson standard. It's you know, a high standard.
0: It's, it is. It's a, it's a tall ask. You know, T. Higgins and Justin Ross and all the guys that come before them, um, and and Agata and and Frank Latson are supposed to be those guys and God has been hurt. And so maybe, and I, I guess he's expected to play, but maybe not still quite a hundred percent. So that that's something to keep an eye on, but those guys ability to take a big step forward is, is also, I think a critical.
1: There, there's no doubt about it. I, I, I think that's, that's going to be huge because if you're Miami, I feel, or, If you're Clemson, or excuse me, if you're Miami defensively, I I think that the ideal situation for you is that you're able to get pressure without blitzing. But I also think at some point you're going to have to bring some pressure. Manny Diaz is a guy who generally likes to bring some pressure and, and force the issue, just as as Venables does. They have to be able to hold up on the outside because almost exactly the reverse of last year. Last year, Clemson, where where were they struggling early in the year? To me, it was at the slot position and at the tight end position. This year, no such struggles inside, right? They 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 have Amari Rodgers who who's doing really well. Yeah,
0: he's been They're- better than even I expected, I think.
1: Yeah. So like the, the the guys who can take advantage of you on Clemson right now who have proved they can take advantage early on are more the, the dudes who are, are are between the hashes. If Clemson also has an advantage outside the numbers, then it's night night. Okay. Like like then the Miami has no shot. If Clemson's guys are routinely winning one-on-one on the outside uh, if you're if you're if you're Miami you have to figure out a way probably to get pressure without blitzing and then also there's this dude we haven't mentioned yet uh Travis Etienne who doesn't suck and given how Miami wants to play this game super up tempo right and, and Clemson can play that style if they want but like Miami wants to get a billion plays off. I think Clemson probably, in an ideal world, would like to run 70 or 80 plays in the game. They're not necessarily one of these teams that wants to run 90, 95 necessarily. If I'm Clemson, it's okay. Hey, um, go ahead and and, and try to stop Etienne. We are totally, totally cool playing this game at a slower tempo, letting Trevor bail us out on third and medium after we've committed and sticking to the run game with Etienne. I, I need to see, can Miami slow down Travis Etienne at all. They, their run defense this year has been sort of hit or miss, to be honest. That, like Louisville got them for a little bit. UAB, not quite as much. FSU, not quite as much. But I don't think their run defense is quite as good as it's been in previous years. They really need a guy like, like Nessa Silvera to step up on the inside and, and create some disruption in addition to, like you said, you know Phillips and, and, and Quincy Roche. And they need their backers to to really have a big game against Etienne because you you can't I don't think against Trevor, I don't think you can load the box like crazy. He's, he's just too good. He's going to recognize the matchups, and uh, they, they have to win up front without going just you know throwing throwing eight, nine guys in the box all the time.
0: So before we move on to the next game, it's also this will be a, an opportunity for a continued coming out party for the freshman on the defensive line too. I, I didn't really realize this, um, but Clemson's been a little banged up on the defensive front uh, Tyler Davis, I guess has been out for two games, game and a half or something. Um, you know, Xavier Thomas is still st- still hadn't really come back fully. Um, who's he dealt with some issues, injury and COVID and otherwise in the summer, Justin Foster, I guess is is banged up or hurt. Mm-hmm. Like there's basically three starters that just, you know, either are, are not full speed or not playing. and, so look, if Miami's going to try to find a way to to assert themselves in the run game, then that's that's certainly helpful. But this this also could open the door of just for Brian Brzee, um and Miles Murphy and and those guys to be that much more of a factor. And, and they've been great so far. But it'll be fun to to, to see them in a big stage like this. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of flash from from some of those from those young guys.
1: That, that's why they recruit them, right? And those those dudes are absolutely studs mm-hmm. and. It, we had them in in, in the, uh, the you know the All American Bowl last year, and they just look different. They they just them and, and Will Anderson just look like different dudes. So that, That's going to be really interesting to see how they handle that. Uh, I think I'm going like 34 21 Clemson. I, I I don't really love to take either side of the number here, but but I do think that that this should be a pretty big at the end game. And I think if Clemson can dictate the tempo you know, this, I I think this game could stay under.
0: If Clemson covers this, this spread, I think that this is, I think Clemson is the, becomes the favorite to win the national championship. Not that they're like somehow not one of the favorites as is, but just in the, in in the collection of Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio state and whoever else you want to throw in there. I think if they can cover 14 against this Miami team, I will, I, I will be warming up to the idea that they should be considered the favorite. Now, you know, Alabama will have a chance to, when they play Georgia next weekend to, you know, if Alabama beats Georgia by 17, then, you know, they, they may overtake that. But this is, to me, a game that'll be tell me a lot about Clemson. And
1: look, if Clemson gets by this, they have three more weeks where they will really not be tested, in my opinion, at Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Boston College, before that trip to Notre Dame. So for them, it's... Just get through this game. Then you've got three more weeks to develop these outside receivers in the passing game. you got three more weeks to get a little bit healthier on the defensive line. By the way, your point about the defensive lineman being out is the other reason why I, I, th- I think the under here is the play because I don't think Clemson really wants to play a, an up tip game if they're short on the defensive mm-hmm. you know, So like yeah. trying to control, go on controlled drives is the recipe there for, uh, for Clemson most likely.
0: All right, you want to hit to yeah? Let us let, go to. I think you and I are both equally intrigued by this game, Georgia at Tennessee. Uh, it is. Is this the SEC game of the week? Is this the one on CBS? It you is three thirty. Right? Yeah. Okay. There you go. You go. You got it. It's so I th- I I think that this is. Um, this is a great opportunity for both teams to have the same sort of prove it uh, showcase that 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 Clemson's getting. Um. Tennessee to level up, Georgia to reassert itself in the East after uh, a half against Arkansas that had everybody worried. Um, not so much against Auburn. So, where do you want to begin here? Uh, there's there's a there's a lot of places we can go. Let, let's go ahead
1: and start uh, where where every drive starts, and that's 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 first down, you know, and then second down, and then we'll talk third down. You wrote a really good feature today on the, the offensive line. Tennessee is built so I I kind of want, want you to walk the audience through that right like wh- what is this offensive line is it really that good and and what have they been able to do so far that, that has been able to power this Tennessee offense
0: yeah so I think the you know most this isn't a a novel observation that Tennessee's offensive line is 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 really good um anyone that watches Tennessee I think can see like this is a really good group this is that they've and and I think where where Tennessee was prior to Jeremy Pruitt taking over is is a stark difference to where they are now. I want to say Pruitt said that they had like two guys. They had eight scholarship offensive linemen when he took over, and two of them weighed more than 300 pounds. Um, And I did sort of a deep dive comparing what Pruitt, the room he inherited, and, and the room he's built. And in the four classes prior to his arrival, and if you include two guys that he took in his first recruiting class um, that Butch Jones committed, so basically carryover recruits, um, that Tennessee was recruiting players in high school that averaged 288 pounds on the offensive line. Um, Since he's taken over, the guys that Jeremy Pruitt has recruited in high school have averaged 313 pounds. He's taken eight guys over the last – over. The, the 14 that he's taken, eight of them would have been the heaviest recruits of the Bush Jones era um, in terms of offensive line recruits. So it's been a very clear and concise and focused approach in terms of we are taking big bodies. Um, when you can talk about the top offensive line developers, programs in the country based on you know the NFL draft, only Georgia is taking heavier prospects. Um, than Tennessee, and, and, and that's in a way that he is building them to try to be like what Sam Pittman and Kirby Smart built at Georgia. So that's, I think, point number one is what they build on the offensive line, but point number two is that it's been supple- – like that approach has been supplemented by transfer portal as needed, and so when you look at Tennessee's offensive starting five, you've got a Pruitt recruit, you've got two Pruitt recruits, you've got one Butch Jones recruit, you have one Sabin recruit, a transfer from Alabama, and Brandon Kennedy. And you have one Kirby Smart, Sam Pittman recruit, and Cade May to transfer from Georgia. Collectively, that group averaged a, a star rating of a, a composite grade of 0.95, which is, and, and this is important, very much on par with the Georgias, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Notre Dames that are playing consistently really good offensive line play. And so whether it's the size, the physicality, just the pure talents, they've, they've managed to build up that room in three years. And I think based on the way Tennessee wants to play, the, the grind it out, um, play conservative, uh, pro-style offense, beat you up sort of mentality, that's, a, that's sort of priority number one in, in, in building a team. So I think that they've, they've found that. And they go into a game against Georgia who has been, who's built their team in the exact same way, who took the exact same approach, who took even took the exact same approach as it relates to the type of bodies they're taking, not just the talent they're taking. And and so I it, it's gonna be a little bit of mirror images in terms of the way they're trying to build their programs and in terms of the way they operate their offense in a lot of ways. The the difference is I think Tennessee's had really has been really successful in you know checking that box on the offensive line, even to a degree on the defensive line. I don't think that they're where George is everywhere else on the field yet. Um, and in fact, the defensive line for Georgia is going to be clearly Tennessee's biggest test in this offensive line sort of measuring stick um, in a way no- nothing else can. And so that is a matchup that's going to be fascinating. And it- it's it's going to be a significant challenge for a group that's getting some, some good pub early.
1: So, dude, that-, that gives them a shot in this game. I do what what i really want to see is how much of that can translate right because tennessee so far they have been they are number 3 in the nation in avoiding third and long so like to what extent tennessee is able to do this is going to be really pivotal 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 yeah <laughs> in this game they are right now third in the nation at avoiding third and longs and and they've played You know, two SEC defenses. So it's not like they they played you know two two slappies. Although, you know maybe Missouri and Tennessee are 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 not are not the best competition. But seven out of ten third longs faced by Tennessee, or you know third downs faced by Tennessee, are are of the non-third and long variety. They have really not asked Garantano to do very much in terms of like true passing downs. Like he just hasn't faced many of them because Tennessee has done such a good job of throwing the short pass, running the football well, and staying ahead of the chains. I have some questions about Garantano and honestly about his receivers. I I don't want to put this just on him. I don't know that Tennessee has big-time difference makers out wide. So Tennessee's performance in third and long, and this is kind of a theme on this show, certainly. Miami has not been avoiding third and long, and they have been converting third and longs. Tennessee has just done the exact opposite. They really haven't been converting third and longs that well, but they've just been totally avoiding it. I suspect that Tennessee is going to face a decent number of third and longs in this game. How Garantano plays on those downs is going to be huge because I I like this offensive line a lot. I think you're exactly right. I think I like Georgia's defensive line maybe a little bit more, you know? And right now, Georgia's defense is just absolutely ridiculous. So how well Tennessee can execute on third and long is going to be key. And of course, trying to avoid as many as, you know, really as, as many as they can, you know, is is going to be a big part of this. Do you see anybody as far as Tennessee's receiving core who you like against the the, the cornerback duo of Stokes and Campbell? Because they really shut down Seth Williams and the Auburn crew pretty effectively uh, Saturday night.
0: I wonder if this is time for a guy like Jalen Hyatt, the true freshman, to emerge in a, in a little bit more meaningful of a way. I mean, he's had a few catches, made a few plays. He, he, he's, he has the sort of talents – speed, athleticism, to to run with those guys. And those guys are as athletic as anybody in the country. Tyson Campbell, I thought, played great last week, by the way. Um, I also, th- I mean, Josh Palmer has been a playmaker for them uh, on the outside as well. I, I I really, I agree with what you're saying on um, third and long. And I, I hate to, a game like this that's so, you know, I mean, t- t- too talented teams that are going to try to win in, I think, fairly similar ways. Like It's all about line of scrimmage. I get that, and I hate to sort of default to quarterback play, but I really do think that cor- like what happens at the quarterback position with these two teams is going to be really, uh, I, I think, is sort of what the game hinges on to me in a lot of ways. And you, you said it w- w- with Grantano, and, and I think that is absolutely true I do think that there's like the, the, the nice thing about Guarantano is that he is a player that does have a lot of ability. He's athletic. He has a big arm. Like he's not limited. He just, he just makes some, he just makes some head scratching plays from time to time. He is not accurate when you want him to be every once in a while. And so I, I think Tennessee has done a good job of protecting him to this point. I think he's going to miss some throws, the key for Tennessee is does he turn the ball over A? Uh if he's able to to limit turnovers and then, then you're in the game. And and that's a that's a prerequisite probably. But I think he also has something that I'm not sure Georgia has. I mean, Georgia is going to be able to really effectively, I think, probably stay in front of the chains for the most part. Um, but I do think like if Georgia gets behind the chains, for example, if Georgia gets a third and third and eleven, I'm not I think there, I think George is going to be very content just being like, all right, let's let's run this draw, get it to fourth and three, and punt it away. And I think that there's going to be big play opportunities, times where Jarek Guarantano can affect the game because of his ability to go downfield, because of his ability to 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 make a big time throw in a big moment. And so I, I think that there is every reason to be concerned about that. And and like you're basically taking the Uh, high-floor, low-ceiling, or the low-floor, high-ceiling guy. Um, But if Tennessee somehow wins this game, I I don't think there's any question it will have been uh, buoyed by some, like, big-time NFL-looking throws by Jericho Guarantano because he's got that in him. And so I I, I am, you know, to your point about the third-long stuff, like, they might get in third-long, he might throw a pick-six. And they might get the third long. He might throw a damn dime for for a touchdown, like on like a rail shot where he just, you know, blows away Gary Danielson. Um, So I I think that's going to be something that's that's an, a, an intriguing story. I, I completely agree with you there, Barton. Um
1: Georgia have they hit any big plays on first down yet th- this year? It's it's not many, if if any. I mean they. I go back to the Arkansas game. I don't really remember them hitting any big-time shots off-play action on early downs. That, like That's one area that, that sticks out to me. If you look at Georgia, I think Tennessee's defense is better than Arkansas's and probably on par with, with Auburn's. And so maybe Georgia, like you said, can just stay out of the chains and, and and keep just running the football, pushing people around. But I do think Georgia needs to be able to to hit some explosive plays down the field against Tennessee on early downs. I, What they did against, did against Auburn, maybe it's sustainable, maybe it's not. I'm not I'm not totally convinced of that. I, I do think that that's an area that like, if Tennessee can keep them bottled up, they're going to have a chance to, to have Georgia's offense make a mistake. Georgia's offense is, is not perfect. In fact, I'm not even sure it's good yet. Maybe it is, given the offensive linemen and, and, and the running backs that they have. But like, one thing they've not done is parlay that running game that Smash Mouth style into being able to get the ball down the field and, and get it over the top of everybody. And you know, part of that maybe was Auburn taking away Pickens, but like, dude, they they've not been able to create explosives on, on those first down. I think that that play action is going to be a big part of this.
0: I think both. Like, I-, I could see both of these teams just get tr- like b- both of them have the same goal: get it to the fourth quarter. I-, I I mean, I could really see that, and 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 almost like if we could just. Like let's let's just play one quarter of football, just the fourth quarter. Like let's just forget the first three. Let's just play the fourth quarter. Like I, they they might just both get in the middle of the field and shake hands and say you're on, um, which is which is crazy because Georgia is so much more talented. But I think because of not so much more talented, but Georgia is clearly one of the be- most talented teams in the country. So you think like they want more plays with anybody. But I just get the sense, and unless we see some sort of Dwan Mathis package where you know they're They've got got some some sort of more quarterback run stuff in that they want to trick Tennessee with. Like I just don't see them trying to be all that um, trying trying to extend this game all that much with Stetson Minute at quarterback. I think as long as Stetson Bennett is the quarterback and as good as he's looked so far, because he's looked pretty good, he's just he's just got limitations. And so I'm not convinced Georgia is all that anxious to you know try to. Try to run up the score on Tennessee early. Like I think they're going to try to, you know, play within themselves, play field position game, beat them up, beat them up, beat them up. By the fourth quarter, let let that ex- lead start to extend, which is sort of the opposite of what happened with with Auburn, where they just basically shut her down in the second half and said, "We got this lead, let's get so out of conservative here." Conservative until um,
1: until Tennessee proves they don't need to be conservative.
0: Yeah, I, just, I just think that's, I mean, that's, that's sort of who Kirby Smart is right now. So I'm I'm it's a the lot, the, the total is 42 and a half Uh, that's, that's probably my only early week hunch is, is playing the under in this game. I just, I don't know how either of these teams really is, and that's an NFL total anxious. I mean like that,
1: that's a, that's a total we see in the NFL, dude. I I mean, very rarely do we ever see a total in the thirties in college. I mean, it's gotta be like, you know, two triple option teams playing in in a hurricane basically, um, or, you know, people with, with their quarterbacks out. Let's go ahead and throw it to break here, guys. One more reminder, please get us up to 600 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Just you know, click the app, click review, five stars. If you want to ask us a question, it obviously increases your chance of getting the question into the mailbag segment, which we'll have at the end of the show. When we get back, we'll talk a little VTech UNC, and then we're going to go no huddle before we get into the recruiting stuff.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal.
1: All right, dude, so a little ACC-heavy show today. I feel like that's appropriate. I mean, the, the Big 12 has sort of played its way out of the spotlight here for the moment. The SEC got full attention on the Sunday night episode, so a little ACC-heavy talk here. Hokies traveled to North Carolina, and both these teams have, have kind of surprised me in some different ways this year.
0: I think Virginia Tech, this was a dark horse team. I mean, a lot of people had circled Virginia Tech because of all the starters they've got returning on both sides of the ball. Because they Hendon Hooker seemed to to be a, a bit of a revelation um, last year. They they started playing a lot better once he got in got the job at quarterback. And so, I, in a way, like I don't think we should be surprised by what they've looked like to this point, and which is they've they've looked really good. Um, I do think the and and the Duke game, what seven point win? But they they were a little bit handcuffed with with um, Hooker out at quarterback. But you know, offensively, this is a pretty stout offensive line. They've got the Coastal Carolina transfer in Brock Hoffman. They've got Brian Hudson, who was a a, a really talented um, recruit, four star level guy. Um, They've got the Luke Tenuta guy who's who's a, been a really good player for them as a redshirt freshman last year. Um, so, I mean, they, they've got a lot of really talented players up front. Khalil Herbert's a transfer they got into. We have we ranked really high in our transfer rankings out of Kansas, and he's, he's made us look good so far because he's been one of the best running backs in the country. So, I guess as we approach this game, I, I, I am – I think that Virginia tech needs to be taken really seriously here. And I think the North Carolina, if anything has sort of given us, you know, reason to believe like that. They're not some, they haven't, like if they're, if, if the juggernaut arrival is, is scheduled for North Carolina, it hadn't hit yet. Like they're the, this is whether it happens this year later on or, or next year, if North Carolina becomes some new ACC powerhouse, they haven't shown it to this point in the season. Even that Syracuse game where they covered the spread, but it took a fourth quarter, sort of just just Syracuse getting overwhelmed to to actually get there. You know, I think North Carolina to this point has been just sufficient, and that's about it.
1: I, I agree with you there. Like UNC is undefeated and yet untapped. I feel like, and I do think there's another level they can get to. Vtech's run game is awesome so far, man. Now, granted, look, they've played NC State. Not really convinced NC State has a great defense. They've played Duke. You know, Duke's defense has been pretty up and down this year. But like they they trash Duke's defense kind of kind of like like Notre Dame did as far as running the ball against them. You know, and like they they're mauling people up up front. With with V Tech, their passing game so far has just been just horrendous. Right. Like, let's be real about this. Their completion rate is 47% on the year. If, if Hooker is back and he was a decent player for them last year, like having a decent quarterback on this team, I feel like could be a tremendous upgrade. I want to see how quickly he assimilates back into the starting role. And, and if, you know, if Virginia Tech can be truly two dimensional on offense, then I do think that this UNC defense, you know, can be had because, like, The Hokies are running the ball just so well, man. And like, I, I, they're, they're one of the worst in the nation so far at like sack rate allowed. But at the same time, I kind of think that's probably got to be a little bit quarterback driven, given how good they're running the ball, given how good their offensive line has looked. I I do think that's probably more related, you know, to, to the QB. On the flip side, I, I got some questions about North Carolina. In particular, I I saw this set on Twitter and I wish I could give somebody credit for it. I forgot who had it. Sam Howell is for the world this year, literally zero completions on balls that travel 20 yards in the air. That's kind of a yo thing because he's got some dudes in the receiving core who are are very good, you know. Obviously, Diami Brown. They've just they've not been able to connect on, on a lot of those deep balls. And it's not for the lack of trying. They have thrown some of them, but at the same time, I do wonder: is there a chemistry issue between Hal and those guys? Because that's what surprised me given how much they bring back in the receiving core and, and with Howell? or is there something deeper, right? Is it more of an offensive line problem for UNC? Like they they were in listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, they were kind of concerned about the offensive line this year going going into the year. And and maybe that's maybe that's rearing its head a, a little bit. I think Sam Howell is probably confused slightly against Syracuse with, with the new three three five defense, you know, that that they were running. Um but this could be a get right game. Because the Hokies might have some DBs out with COVID, I did go ahead and bet uh, Vatek here at plus six when it came out. I think it's down to four or five now. Um, but like, if 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 North Carolina can't create those explosive plays through the air, I think the Hokies are going to have a shot to control tempo, control the game script, and, and pull the upset.
0: One of the things that struck me in the the North Carolina Boston College game, um, and I'm trying to as I, as I talk here. I'm trying to pull up, see if I can pull up the numbers. But just at, 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 in watching the game, it didn't feel like North Carolina was leaning into the run game as much as they should have or could have. Um, because they seemed to kind of be getting what they wanted running the football. Uh, Boston College up front wasn't that great. and But I think that Phil Longo and that offense, just sort of they only know one way. And it's just like they're going to, they're gonna air it out, and they're gonna they they they're gonna run a lot of plays and throw the ball a lot, and I, I like I I wanted North Carolina to just be the more physical football team and just just beat Boston College up, and 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 it felt like that they when they when they tried to do that, it felt like they were, um, and so this is another like I, I, I and I think that speaks to maybe how you have to sort of level up, which is you have to level up with 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 sort of athletes and body types and depth and i think that this is these are two teams virginia tech's what a year or two uh, ahead of of mac brown in terms of the justin fuente era we've had some we've had some like shaky moments along the way with justin fuente particularly even like heading into last season and then last season at some point, they sort of turned the corner. Now it feels very stable again, and it feels like this is a program that is, in, is where it wants to be in terms of personnel, in terms of continuity, um, culture, all those sort of things, and, and, and really probably talent, too. I think that they feel like this is sort of a, this isn't an under, like, a, a below-average Virginia Tech-level talent. This is, this is sort of what you want Virginia Tech teams to look like. Um, and North Carolina has done a good job of, of bringing talent in, but I, in a game like this, if, if North Carolina is ready to take that next step, I would like to see North Carolina look like the more talented team. I'd like to see them, um, and, and, they, and like, the thing is, they might be the more talented team. I think North Carolina has a higher ceiling from a talent perspective than Virginia Tech does, um, and, and they seem to be heading in that direction, but I think this is, this is a good game to be able to sort of get a, a good indicator on that.
1: Let me ask you this: Uh, How, given that they've only played Syracuse and Boston College, how confident are you in North Carolina's defense being legitimately like a a a quality defensive unit? Because I got to tell you, like I think their starters on the D line are pretty damn good, and if they stay healthy all year, they have a shot to have a pretty good D line. But like you know, their depth is, is minimal. I just I have a hard time Barton getting the real read on these guys. Because when they played Syracuse, Syracuse was just beyond incompetent. I mean, they they allowed what, like 17 tackles for loss or something absolutely insane in that game. And then, you know, it's not like BC's offense has been doing anything so far this year. Like, do you
0: have a good feel for them? No, I don't really. I mean, I, I was pretty excited about the Syracuse game. Not that I thought Syracuse would be good, but just because of how thoroughly they were dominated. But I, at this point, BC hadn't been able to run the ball on anybody. So I'm not like going to go overboard on them holding BC to 2.1 yards or a rush. So I still think this is a talented group, but as, if Hendon Hooker's back in the in the saddle at quarterback, I think this is the first time we really get to to make a definitive judgment on this on this unit.
1: This could be a a real shootout, and Vegas uh, Vegas is not buying these defenses as being awesome. Like they, they they hung this total at sixty, so we're we're not getting any kind of break there. Wow. Um, all right, hey, let's go. Uh, let's go. No huddle. No huddle is where we just spend probably about ten minutes uh, talking about four or five different games, some, some one-liners on each, maybe a little thing we're looking for. Not not quite the deep dive that we'd like to open the podcast with. Uh, Barton, you can go ahead and kick it off. Where, where do you want to go first?
0: Let's go Florida a and I, I was digging into this a little bit before this game, trying to figure out if there's anything I'm... Because like, A&M like just hadn't looked good. Like They just haven't... I mean, obviously against Alabama, but then they didn't look good against uh, Vanderbilt either. So... I was just trying to figure out like what's what is the reason for me to think that there might be an upset here? what what, am, what what path can I go on to 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 sort of cross-check this game? And you know, the one thing you sort of land on is, all right, well, Florida is is near the last like near the very bottom of the country in terms of defensive success rate. So all right, defenses hadn't played great. Um, the defensive success rate is near the bottom of the country. Um, that's a little bit concerning. Like maybe it's the time for A&M's offense to possess the ball a little bit, have their way with Florida. But but then you realize that that, that number is just totally skewed because they were six in the country this past weekend in defensive success rates. They were just that bad against Ole Miss. And so we're we're not yet to the point of the season where we can really know how to feel about that, which is sort of fun. Like this is kind of yeah. kind of this is exciting. Like you kind of all right, how good is Ole Miss? Like that that offense might just be unbelievable, and this is going to be a good weekend to, to determine that as well. They play Alabama, um, but it's so hard to get a read on Florida's defense right now. I'm confident in Florida's offense, and with the way Florida just absolutely has been doing whatever they want in the past game and the way Texas A&M got totally gashed last weekend on the back end, uh, with, with their secondary. I just, I, I don't know. Like, have you found an angle to where this can actually be an upset bid by, by and uh, uh,
1: maybe a couple, but man, like the things that Florida does poorly on defense are not necessarily the things that Texas A&M does well on offense. For instance, Florida's numbers so far and it's just the numbers and there, there is something to back this up right I, I do think that that let, let, let's talk personality for a second Kyrie Campbell has still not played for Florida I don't think in an ideal world, world that that Florida really wants to play Jalen Carter on the inside right I think they want to play Kyrie Campbell there he's he's their big 300 pound guy can, can stop the run but they're playing Jalen Carter on the inside he's getting some tackles for loss but he's not necessarily Florida's you know, Florida's playing Jalen Carter on the inside
0: is there anything of Jervin Dexter
1: no, 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 no. J- Jalen Carter, they're they're D end. Uh,
0: oh, uh, oh, is It's not, Car- not Jalen or, Carter. Um, is it Xavier Carter? What's that guy's name?
1: The, 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 he was from Tampa. Uh, like he's more of a strong side end type. Um, he, he's he's a he's a uh, Zach Carter. Zach, apologies, that's right. not not Jalen. Good catch. I, I, I yeah, I got I got the last year's five stars a, on the brain.
0: Zach Carter made a play last year.
1: He's
0: he's a good player.
1: I just don't. Or, know, or, or,
0: or last game, I mean.
1: I don't know if they want him to play you know, detackle tackle for them as much as as they'd like them to play more of that strong side end spot because then it could free, it could free up to Bill Cox to, you know, to be more of that edge, you know, freelance pass rush guy. But man, Florida or uh, a defense or offense far, Barton, they're 70th in the nation in stuff rate allowed. 28% of their runs are going for one, zero or negative yardage. Like that's not exactly the profile of a team that is consistently staying ahead of the chains with the run game. You know, and it can keep Florida's offense off the field. The other thing is, AM, stop me if you've heard this before. Shockingly, they're not creating explosive plays with the pass game. They are 70, 70th in the nation in passing explosiveness. Again, there's only been 74 teams that have played. I don't know who the four are below them, but like it's really no surprise when you don't have threats at receiver because you're not able to incorporate your young talent into the game that your tight end and Anaya Smith, your, your running back, are not creating enough explosive passing plays for you. I think you have to create explosive passing plays if, if you want to beat the Gators. I think that Florida's offense like their core competencies are going to allow the, allow for them to score you know in the 30s and I don't know that AM will get there. I actually played Florida -5 at the open expecting this to get over 7. I guess we'll see if the hurricane impacts this game at all, you know, given Houston, you know, AM is is you know kind of east Texas area. Uh, but I AM's passing defense, and this is Bama influenced, but they've not been good at
0: all. Well, that's the other thing that's that's funny about this AM like evaluation is it's for the same way, it's really hard to get a uh, a good read on what Florida's defense is because Ole Miss's offense skews things. It's hard to get a read on how good AM's defense is because Vanderbilt's offense skews things, and Alabama's offense skews things. Like they were terrible against Alabama, they were great against Vanderbilt's. But Alabama might be the best offense in the country. Vanderbilt might be the worst. And so, what is where does that put a And M? And so, um, I, I'm I'm just uh, Florida has looked more competent to this point. That's all you know. And so, it's um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if Jimbo Fisher finally earns his money this weekend.
1: It, well, I mean, technically, he's already earned all of it because it was fully guaranteed. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a, the, the the day he signed, he, he got his 75 million. All right, I'm going to keep us in the Lone Star State. I think it says something that we're giving Texas OU the no huddle treatment as opposed to you know putting putting them in the deep dive segment. Is there anything you want to say about this game? Because I'm just kind of like, all right, will anybody play? You know, will anybody play any defense? Will Oklahoma get pushed around? I I kind of trust Texas offense more here than Oklahoma's weirdly, but I, I maybe I shouldn't, and that's just because I think Sam Ellinger can keep the chains moving. But I don't know, man. I what we I saw on Saturday this. was more concerning to me about Oklahoma than it was about Texas.
0: Yeah, we were talking about this in Slack a little bit um, because you see you kind of have a a Texas hunch. I've kind of got an Oklahoma hunch. I just – I feel like Oklahoma – I still think Oklahoma's offense is really good. Um, yes, their run game is, is still getting its bearings. Um, you know, Spencer Rattler probably – doing more than they'd like him to do with his legs or, or is being asked to do more than they'd like to ask him to do with his legs uh but he's still an elite quarterback and is is going to continue to get better. I still trust Lincoln Riley and a Lincoln Riley offense above just about anything in college football like you can set your watch to that as, as well as you can with anything and neither of these teams are giving me much optimism or, or confidence. Offense or defensively, in terms of the way they tackle and the way they so I just sort of trust Oklahoma more. I just don't, I don't really like the way Texas has played. I don't really like the way they've, it just looks sloppy. I mean, penalties and all this, all this stuff. And, and we mean to me, Oklahoma is going to keep getting a little bit sharper. Um, but this is, I mean, talk about a fan like wh- whoever loses this game, I, you know what, like, f- even if Oklahoma loses this game, like I think that's a, that's excusable. I think Oklahoma fans, at least they should be, just sort of like, hey, this is this is one of those years. We're in the playoffs for what three straight years or whatever it is, and hey, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes you have, you have cycled down. We'll, we'll be back. Jaden Hazelwood's been hurt. Trajan Bridges has been suspended. Ronnie Perkins is getting back. Jalen Redmond coming back next year. Like, there's all kinds of reasons to be optimistic about Oklahoma. If Texas loses this game, I just that's just a it, it 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 would feel very deflating I think uh, and so this is a this is kind of a back against the wall game for Texas so maybe to your point maybe maybe that's a a reason to to think that they you know that they'll be well prepared and well motivated for this one because to me they they got to fight their way out of the corner here
1: I certainly don't love Texas here um, like I, I took the plus three at, at open because I, I I didn't think either team really should be favored by by three and and that's a key number so I went ahead and popped it. Texas pass rush is terrible so far, and like if you give Spencer Rattler all day, I think he'll find somebody. Um, but I'm really not scared of Oklahoma skill position players to the extent that I normally am for the first time in quite a while. Like, which Oklahoma receiver at this point scares you? There's guys on the roster, but they're not playing, either not playing like they should be, or like in, in the case of Hazelwood, he's hurt. You know, I the, the dudes you see out there. Like They're not scaring me. You know, Bridges is not playing. And I think the same can be said, honestly, defensively for Oklahoma. Like Ronnie Perkins, I don't think is expected back this week from the, the last I saw. Right. So like, they don't have Gallimore. They don't have Perkins. They don't have what's his name who opted out. They, they got pushed around big time up front by Iowa State. And that's an Iowa State offensive line that I really don't think is that great. I think it's fine, but it's not like, oh my God, the Iowa State offensive line is is you know the earth movers. Uh so I wonder if QB run game with with Sam Ellinger, if if he can get the win in this rivalry that 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 he wants to get and and they can they can kind of play a little more ball control against Oklahoma.
0: How about um I, I think this is an interesting one. Kentucky, Mississippi State. Where where where's your head at right now? I I, I know I came into the season kind of optimistic about Kentucky. They there there's a there's a world where they're two and zero right now. Um, you know I think that they they were very competitive against Auburn. Uh, some some sort of poorly timed turnovers doomed them. And then you know they had rushed for four over four hundred yards against Ole Miss and managed to lose that game. Uh, but here they are against Mississippi State and. You, you, you've you got some questions about their pass pass defense efficiency.
1: Yeah, Barton. Uh, have you seen what what completion percentage they're allowing this year?
0: <laughs> well, so here's the thing, <laughs> though. They've played Ole Miss. Like that's the the like I, it's so interesting. I don't like Ole Miss's offense it's might really just good. be that good. So Do you I, remember
1: all I, the shit we got from Georgia fans for saying that the best offense all year that Florida would play is Ole Miss?
0: Um, did we get a lot of shit for that
1: it, on the message boards? Yeah. Yeah, they, they they Georgia well, fans didn't love didn't love that because uh, because we, we we didn't crown Stetson Bennett. Uh, all right, that's fair. And Ole Miss is really good offensively, but they're allowing seventy one point four percent completions. That is almost dead last in the nation. That is not a great sign if you're playing a team like Mississippi State, which wants to throw the ball all the time. And it, so, to me, what it tells me is like Kentucky's defense is not playing as a defense yet. Like they're not playing good team defense. They're not passing guys off cuz Mark Stoops is primarily a zone guy. They don't play a ton of man to man. Like they're not playing good team zone defense yet. But at the same time, look what Arkansas and Barry Odom did to Mississippi State. It's not like Mississippi State's offense and maybe this is something we missed at, at, in our analysis of LSU and in the Mississippi State game. Like Mississippi State continuity wise had enough continuity to bomb it on right. If you get a bunch of man coverage, hey, convert these to goes. You know, if 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 you get this pressed up look, and we'll, we'll we'll check it up. They did not handle Arkansas dropping eight guys into coverage very well at all last week. Like they're we can put it on Costello, we can put it on Leach not running the ball enough. But I don't think their receivers have like the route running savvy and the chemistry and the experience within that offense. At least not in that game, they didn't to get open consistently enough against against those those heavy zone looks. So that's something that, that I think bears watching. Because something's got to give here. Either Mississippi State starts to look a lot better against you know zone concepts. And I don't think zone is like the cure all against an air raid, but certainly better than playing press man the entire game, most likely. Uh you know, Buffalini next year just store that one away. Uh or maybe maybe Kentucky's defense just continues like to, to be terrible. Uh defensively though Mississippi State's run D is actually not that great. And Kentucky just ran for 400 yards on Ole Miss. So I do think there's a situation here where this is kind of a weather game. Kentucky's able to run the football effectively, keep Mississippi State's offense off the field, frustrate them a little bit. Maybe Kentucky's defense plays a little better. And, and UK finally, finally gets off the snide and gets the win.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that Kentucky's run or Mississippi State's run defense isn't that great. I, I think, because um, I, I haven't dug into the numbers. I'm trying to pull pull up some stats right now as I'm talking to to see if something jumps out to me but one of the I think more interesting elements to the Mississippi State early season is how you know their their defense has actually been pretty good I mean they're good against um LSU good enough certainly um and and against Arkansas like Arkansas didn't do jack yeah in that game on offense like they did nothing and I I think I like I want to say like, I don't know something like like eight of their twelve offensive drives were were four plays or less, Um, and and so I think while the matchup everyone's going to be watching is this Mississippi State offense versus this Kentucky defense, I'm in some ways I'm I'm as intrigued if not more intrigued about what Mississippi State do can do with this Kentucky offense because the Kentucky offense is really good. It's it, it can run the ball really well. That offensive line is great. If Terry Wilson takes care of the football, like that's a really competent, really effective offense. And Mississippi State's, you know, in some ways, this might be like their best test yet. Um So I, I think that's going to be telling as well.
1: To me, Mississippi State has done a really good job of not allowing like the huge plays. If if you look at like if you kind of toggle like chunk plays allowed, they've done a really good job of not allowing the big time plays. I do it's, think that
0: the fourteenth. I'm just uh, just just. Yeah, you know, 14th in the country in yards per play, which is you know kind of a top 25 defense in a typical year.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's not a a terrible defense. Yeah, um, they, I think Kentucky, if they're patient in this game, they probably want to play fairly slow. I think they they may be able to control the line of scrimmage against Mississippi State's defense and and keep control, you know, of the ball. I, I guess I guess we'll see how that plays out. Uh, very quickly here because we got we got to get to this mailbag. One thing for Bama Ole Miss, you're watching.
0: Uh let's just see if I mean, hey, this is this is the uh the opportunity for Ole Miss's offense to 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 get throttled. Let's we'll see how good Alabama is. We know for sure, I feel very confident that old miss's offense is legit. So uh let's see what happens. I think Lane Kiffin is probably as we talked about this a little bit this week um, on our, one of our editorial calls. Like, Lane Kiffin might be the most equipped Nick Saban, former assistant, to actually beat Nick Saban because he's not trying to beat Nick Saban by being Nick Saban. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen this year. Don't get me wrong. But this will be a, a good indicator if, if maybe this is something to watch in, in years to come.
1: Saban this week in his press conference was talking about how they need to, they need to get much better running the football and being more effective. Well, Barton, if there's one team in the SEC I want to play and run the football against, I'm about to read you here. This is where Ole Miss is defense so far. It's two games, small sample set, sure. I think this one might hold, though. Here's where they rank nationally. Keep in mind, folks, there's only 74 teams that have played college football so far. So the, these rankings are out of 74. Rushing success rate allowed, 74th. <laughs> Rushing marginal efficiency, 74th. Rushing explosiveness allowed, 61st. Rushing opportunity rate allowed, that's basically like how much you're getting pushed around. 74th power success rate allowed, 53rd. So they really buck up there on third and one. Uh stuff rate forced, 73rd. I I think this could be a very good day for, for Najee. I, I think this could be a very good day for Robinson. And uh additionally, with Georgia on deck and AM in the rear view, I, I do not think that Nick Saban wants to. Be chucking the ball around and playing a million snaps in the second half, although we know Lane probably will. So I would expect this to be a, a very run-heavy game for the Crimson Tide. Just, just, just run the ball, damn it! Is uh, is probably going to be said here and and done. I, I would, I would have to think.
0: Uh, so very, should we move on?
1: Yeah, very, very quick. Uh, Watch Coastal Carolina at Louisiana. Yeah, Coastal agreed. Carolina's offense is fun as hell. It, it's like imagine if Tulane could throw the ball. That's basically what they're doing. It's like triple option out of the shotgun. I wonder if their billionaire director of football like made them a secret bubble during COVID because they look like they have not missed a day of practice in the entire offseason. They're super efficient and crisp and, and they're just really fun to watch. So because this podcast is also about an intersection of recruiting and personnel and how it affects football, uh, and because we want to reward y'all for doing the mailbag on Apple Podcasts, we need to have a mailbag question here. And we're going to combine the recruiting, the one big recruiting thing segment and the mailbag segment today. This is from DC Tiger. He really loves the show. Due to expediency reasons, I'm going to go ahead and just skip all the nice compliments he, he paid us, but that was very nice of him. And he writes uh, Speaking of recruiting, what is going to happen with the early signing period now that the NCAA has extended the dead period and recruits can't take official visits this fall?
0: Well, I, I think <laughs> I don't think anything's <laughs> going to happen with it. I, I mean, do you? No. I it's think it's too gonna, late. Yeah. I just think people are just going to, I think what's going to happen is this is going to create a, 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 a uh, transfer portal um monsoon of of action and activity and movement because there's going to be a lot of guys that sign with programs and enroll at programs that they didn't visit and that's i don't think that's, that's that's not good for anybody um no one is no one is no no one likes this um and so it's but it's just an unfortunate side effect and so it, you know what's going to be interesting is usually this you know, this happens sort of in bowl season what do we have games that weekend like what is that weekend have you checked is that For uh, early signing
1: period yeah is, yeah. It,
0: it, is it Yeah. We like have championship bowl. weekend or is it bowl season or what
1: normally it's bowl season i don't know if the bowls are getting moved though uh but I, I i do think it's actually like sec title game weekend
0: okay all right so maybe a few more teams will be available to go ahead and lock these guys down but uh it's not ideal
1: certainly not uh you mentioned transferring, and we saw some reporting this week. I think this was Nicole Auerbach uh, who reported that the uh, the proposal is in for the like one free transfer, and it's likely to pass this time. We thought it was going to pass last time in, until COVID hit, and then they, they went ahead and tabled it. Uh, but I've been speaking to some personnel guys, and, and I'm writing a story on this, but the, the word I'm getting back so far is if they're not sure about a kid, they want to save the spot because they're risk averse by nature and they don't want to make a you know three or four year mistake on a high school kid who they've never had in their camp or as opposed to like they can actually see what a transfer kid looks like they know from a strength and conditioning standpoint he's going to look reasonably like a college player you know should look because like there's going to be staffs like all these new staffs that have never seen the vast majority of these players in person this year as a coach at school nobody had summer camps Nobody got to get out on on the road for spring visits before all all, all this stuff came down. Like The dead period is still in effect. Coaches are not going on the road to see high schoolers unless they're doing it, and I'm not aware of it. Uh, I I haven't heard about any coaches being able to get on the road, at least not legally. So I think they're going to save spots in that 25-man class for transfers. And then, like you said, there's going to be an absolute transfer bonanza most likely down down the road uh, because there are going to be a lot of dudes. This is like blind dating. In some ways. And then all of a sudden we're going to find some kids who don't belong at a program either because they're not to that program standard or on the other side, man, they're going to be way too like they're going to be above that program standard by a whole lot. And then after a year or two, they're going to say, hey, wait a second. Like, I'm I'm a legit P5 kid. I'm going to transferred up to the P5. You know,
0: there's there's also the idea because a lot of programs are interpreting the one year of eligibility that's granted to all these guys that are playing in this 2020 season. A lot of staffs are interpreting that as you get sort of a free pass to go over the 85-man scholarship limit in 2021. But by 2022, you have to be back to 85 scholarships. And so because of that, you might see teams go light on a class this year to get a a light incoming freshman class because you're not going to have as much turnover on your scholarship numbers in terms of of the guys coming back and, and getting another year of eligibility. Then by the time 2022 rolls around, you would be getting instead of like you're not going to have access to a full 2022 class unless you held back some of these 2021 numbers to grant yourself a little more leeway in 2022. And so, bottom the the bottom line is there's just fewer scholarships that are going to be available over at least the next two years, maybe maybe beyond um, out of high school. And part of it is going to be because of the current COVID situation and the current um, you know, roster numbers, but part of it is going to be because of the transfer situation as well. And all those things are coming together at a time when um, there's just going to be a lot of, of issues working with the numbers on, on t- in terms of scholarships. So, so who benefits from this?
1: Maybe that's something we could tackle in a future episode. It's something I'm thinking about. Like, is it the P5 schools who are, who are saving spots to take, take some of the best transfers from, from the G5? Like, 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 who's the real loser in this from the school side? You know, obviously the kids might be kind of a loser, not having a chance to see the, the schools. I mean, the schools are somewhat losers too. But like somebody's going to play this right, and then somebody's going to play this wrong. And I, I think there is some strategy to it. I, we're 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 well over an hour now, so maybe this is something we we hit in a future episode. The just-
0: sh- sh- short answer for me is I don't think it favors any specific profile of a program. Okay. It's just gonna, and yeah, I could be wrong. Like there could be something there, but uh, but I. Th- I think it is absolutely going to benefit the programs that are, are smart and really precise in the way they attack recruiting. Um, So I, I I don't, I think you can be a lower level school, a mid tier or a powerhouse and do it right or do it wrong. I just think it's going to take, I think it's going to take a smart sort of um, broad uh, approach to, to, to the way to handle this.
1: All right, buddy been another good one hope everybody has a great weekend watching a little college football action I know I'm, I'm gonna be glued to my tv pretty much all day and uh, i know we bashed on red river but I'll, I'll i'll probably have that up too just just to watch the carnage because that's hell yeah that's, you <laughs> will
0: that's, de-
1: that's an anxiety bowl for sure uh for for both those fan bases if, if, if they drop that one so cool all right man for for bud for barton for producer tani appreciate y'all